Now hear God's holy word from Luke's gospel as we continue our study in the gospel according to Luke from chapter 8. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us give thanks together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we thank you now that we have this opportunity to sit together and meditate on it. And I ask you in this time to make me an articulate messenger of your word. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech, and fill us all with your Holy Spirit, that we might receive the word that you have inspired and preserved and delivered to us throughout all these generations. Father, we rejoice to be your people, uh, uh, settle our thoughts and calm our hearts as we spend time in your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Has it ever struck you as odd that every night after the sun goes down, the whole human race turns out the lights, we lay down horizontally, and we go unconscious for several hours? Now, I know there are people who have to work through the night and they go unconscious during the daytime, some, sometime during the day. Nevertheless, we all do this. God designed our bodies in such a way that we need sleep. We can't go without it. We require a reset, a time for our bodies to be healed and restored and re-energized. We cannot live without sleep. In fact, we spend somewhere around a third of our lifetimes sleeping. It means if you live to be 80 years old, you will spend almost 27 years of your life lying down, snoring, and dreaming. 27 years. Do you know how much productivity you could have with those 27 years if you didn't have to spend them sleeping? What could you get done with an extra 27 years of your life? What is the point of this? And why did God design us this way? I'm not sure we know all the answers, but it is interesting that every day we go through a kind of death and resurrection. Every single day we go through this cycle of death and resurrection. We lie down at night and we're helpless. We are out of it. We aren't productive. We are nearly lifeless. And each morning God raises us up to new life new possibilities of a new day, new perspectives. How many times do you go to bed with one perspective and you wake up with another, a clearer outlook, a different idea, a, a new thought? That, that's why we say, uh, let me sleep on it. Why? Because we know that the process and the act of sleeping, it changes things. And the morning brings new things. That's why I always tell uh, young couples in premarital counseling, when you fight, you know, the Lord says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That doesn't mean you stay up till two o'clock in the morning fighting. That's not what that means. Uh, don't go to bed angry. 
but go to bed. You know, at some point you have to cut it off and say, hey, we're done. We're going to wake up. And in the morning, it's true. Everything is different. There's a new perspective. There's new light. There's, there's something to this death and resurrection that all of creation requires. The seasons that pass are a kind of death and resurrection. Uh, the, you know, even, the, even forests need a kind of reset. They need a, a, a you know, forest fires in, in many ways are good things and they reset the forest. Everything needs to die. And that's my point. Everything needs to die and be raised to new life. And we do that every single day. Furthermore, sleep is humbling. No matter what you're able to accomplish and what you want to achieve, no matter what your plans and dreams and hopes, whatever you're working on, you have to stop and you have to rest. You must stop and Sabbath. And this reminds us that we have boundaries. We have limits. We are created within borders. God is the one who is the limitless one. God is the only one who has no boundaries. And he's the one who ultimately blesses our work and controls all things and causes it to prosper and shows us that we are not in control of all things. We are contingent creatures. Sleep and rest, our need for these things, remind us of this. Our existence depends upon the goodness of God in giving us air and food and drink and sunshine and sleep. And, and He is the one who keeps us alive through the night. He is the one who protects us throughout the dark night. We're disoriented and we're confused when we don't sleep. There are times where we're so vexed and anxious and troubled that we can't sleep. Maybe we have so many worries that we can't turn off our brains at night or we have unconfessed sin that we are being stubborn about dealing with and we, we, we're, we're under a burdensome load of guilt or maybe we're dealing with guilt for things we really shouldn't feel guilty for. And yet these problems and worries and troubles keep spinning through our heads over and over. They get stuck in a loop. And no matter what we try, we cannot get to sleep or stay asleep. It, it's in those times, if you've ever struggled with, with sleep and not being able to sleep well, it's in those times we recognize what a great blessing sleep is and how much our health and our wholeness depends upon rest. The Bible's not silent on this. Psalm 27 says this, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. And that same psalm reminds us that unless Yahweh builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless Yahweh guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In other words, the, the Lord builds the house, the Lord guards the city, and there's nothing that self-inflicted insomnia will do to take away from or add anything to his, his work. You sleep because you must, and the Lord continues his work even while you are at rest. This is important for us to keep in mind. We come to this passage in Luke where we see the Lord Jesus asleep on a boat. We, we confess that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And as a man, the Lord Jesus had all of the same physical needs that you and I do. He needed food. He needed water. He needed air. He required sleep. 
And as a man, he was subject to all the same stresses that you and I are subject to that would keep us from sleeping. At this point in the gospel so far, we've seen him deal with accusations and disbelief and criticism from detractors. Everywhere he goes, there are multitudes of people demanding things of him. There's also an indication that things are not well with his family, that there's some misunderstanding on their part. They want to pull him off his mission. Now, last week we stopped at verse 18. That's the last one I read. This morning I picked up at 22. Let me read what's in between there. This is where Jesus is teaching. In verse 19, his mother and his brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, Mark gives us a little bit more insight into what's going on. Mark, back in chapter 3 of, of Mark, tells us that some of his people, some of Jesus' family, thought he was crazy. They knew where he was headed with the message that he was preaching, and it was not going to be popular, and they know where people who talk the way that Jesus talks end up. They end up stoned. They end up on crosses. And they know that the way he's going is, is not going to be a, a, a way that's going to give him a long and prosperous life. So they're afraid for him, and they think that he's mad, and perhaps they think he's a little bit too big for his britches. Mark gives us some of this, some of this insight. And so when they come to him and want to speak to him, what they're actually trying to do is take him home and talk some sense into him. They, they want to take Jesus away from the crowds and say, don't you remember who you are? You're, you're just, you know, you're just Jesus. You're just Yeshua from Nazareth. You're not, you're not anybody special. Well, this, this conflict that, uh, that arises, when it, when it pops up its, its head here in, in Luke, we, we just get this little glimpse of it. And then Jesus, when he hears that his mother and his brothers want him, he says, well, who are my mother and brother what does he say? My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. In keeping with that whole theme of the parable we read last week, the, the, the hearing of the word and the sowing of the word, that whole section is about hearing. And then Jesus punctuates it with this. Those who hear my word and do it, they are my family. They are my community. They are my closest companions. Those who do not, though they may be related by blood, they're not my closest companions. They're not my first and foremost, allegiance and community. Well, uh, Jesus does know where all of this is headed. His family, even if they were to pull him aside, would not be telling him something he doesn't know. Jesus knows how this is going to end. And if you've ever had something extremely difficult off in the distance, something you know you're going to have to deal with, something you know you're going to have to face, that too can cause uh, you to lose sleep at night. That too can cause restlessness. So there's this whole list of concerns and burdens on the Lord Jesus that might cause, any one of them might cause him to not sleep. Any one of them would cause us to stay up all night. And yet here in this story, Jesus is asleep, not asleep in a soft bed, in a quiet room with a ceiling fan on, you know, not, not with, uh, with music or a white noise machine. You know, he's asleep on a boat, a boat that is being knocked around like a child's toy in a bathtub. 
There's a great windstorm that whips up the waves so much that the little boat starts taking on water. Lightning and thunder and crashing of the waves and men trying to keep the boat upright and shouting at each other to try to keep the boat from capsizing. And Jesus in the midst of this is asleep. The boat that they're on is very likely a fishing vessel. Just a common fishing boat. Like Peter, James, and John probably were part of a a wealthy family who had a fleet of such boats, but it, but it was a fishing boat. And when Jesus needed a boat to go across the Sea of Galilee to visit the country on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, um, they had a boat ready. We might imagine when we read the story, we might think, well, maybe he was somewhere under the deck. You know, maybe we think it's kind of like a, uh, a yacht and, and he was somewhere underneath, somewhere in some private quarters. But there's evidence that the common fishing boats at the time only had one deck. There was not like they didn't have like, they wouldn't like the love boat. You know, they didn't have all this, all this, they didn't have shuffleboard. You know, they, he, was, he was probably on the top deck. And if there was any covering at all, it was just, you know, little canvas covering. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, a, a stateroom or something. It's not somewhere that he would have been out of the elements and oblivious to whatever's going on. And yet he's asleep. He's sleeping the sleep of the guiltless and the worry-free. He's sleeping the sleep of the the content. He's probably also sleeping the sleep of the exhausted, but but he's relaxed. That's the point. When the disciples finally and frantically wake him up, they say, don't you care that we're dying? How can you sleep in a time like this? And the scene carries a little bit of humor. Here Jesus is laid out on a bench snoring while the disciples believe that the world is crashing in around them. They believe that this is, this is it. This must have been some kind of unusually severe storm for these fishermen who lived on the sea to be as scared as they were. I don't know about you, whenever I'm on an airplane, I don't fly a lot by choice. I try not to fly a lot, uh, but... Uh, when, I'm, when I'm on a plane and I feel a weird bump or a weird noise or a weird thing, i like, is that, is that normal? But I look at a stewardess, and if a stewardess is like, eh, that's fine, it's normal, then I, I'm relaxed. So they must know if this is a big deal or not. But if I ever look at a stewardess' face and they're sweating and they're worried and they're crying and they're praying, and then I'm worried. So the people who do this every day, if they're not worried, I'm not worried. If they're worried, I'm very concerned because I don't, I don't know what's going on. So uh, if these fishermen are getting nervous, guys who do this every day, guys who do this for a living, who are on this water every day, if they're worried, this must be some kind of storm. There is cause to be concerned. But Jesus isn't concerned. And after he rebukes the wind and the rain and the sea, he rebukes the apostles. He says, where is your faith? In fact, if you were on that boat and you wanted to know whether or not you should be worried, you wouldn't look at the disciples to wonder, should I be worried? You should look at Jesus. And if he's not worried, well, then you should not be worried. You're probably okay. But what were they thinking when they cried out? When they cried out, Master, Master, we're perishing. Did they really think that this was the end of the road for Jesus? Did they really think that the coming of the kingdom would be cut short by a tragic shipwreck and that God's plan for Israel and the world would end up at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee? Did they believe that even though Jesus could heal the sick and cast out demons, that he had no power over the winds? 
Well, the truth is, we can ask those questions, but the truth is they probably weren't thinking any of that well enough to articulate it. That's sort of the way things go when, they're, when we're in the middle of a crisis. We're not thinking all the thoughts we need to be thinking. We're not asking the right questions when things are going bad, which is why it's so important to have brothers and sisters around us to speak truth to us. You may think, oh, I'm not going to say that. That sounds so cliche. That sounds so pat. You know, God loves you. The Lord Jesus is, is still close to you and you're in union with him and he has you in his hand. Those things you think, oh, that sounds so cliche. People don't need to hear that. But in fact, we do need to hear it because in the midst of a crisis, we're not thinking and we're certainly not thinking clearly. And so in the midst of their worries and confusion, They are correct, by the way, to address Jesus. They are correct to wake him up and ask for his help. Um, Part of me wonders if they should have woken him sooner. Why fret? Why wait until you're almost dying to ask for help, right? Why why not just say, Lord, you know, it's a pretty big storm. Can we do anything here? You know, I'm just asking if, if you can help us out here. But they do call on Jesus and he rises from his slumber And he sees the wind and the rain and the waves, and he rebukes them as if they were uh, dogs fighting. He just says, cut it out. Like like kids who are out of control, the the waves and and the storm. He says, knock it off. Stop it. Peace, be still. And the sea and the wind cease, and there's calm. Now, we read this so many times, and we say, yeah, yeah, I remember that time. Jesus told the wind to stop, and it did, and he told the waves to stop, and they did. But can you imagine, just put yourself in this situation, can you imagine how incredible this was? Think back to the last terrible storm you witnessed, where the rain was coming down sideways, and the trees were whipping around, and stuff was blowing everywhere. And and imagine walking right out into the middle of the downpour, and the thunder and the lightning, and saying, stop it. And it does. You cut it out right now, and it does. It stops. And immediately the clouds are sucked away, and the sun shines, and the, and the strong wind becomes a gentle breeze, and the little birds come out and start tweeting again. Now put yourself in the place of the disciples. One minute, they're desperately clinging to life. They're shouting and crying out and soaking wet. And the next minute, they're standing there on the deck, of the boat, still soaking wet, their hair and their beard dripping water everywhere, and the sun is shining, and the sky is blue, and there are white fluffy clouds everywhere. And they just kind of stand there, and you wonder, okay, who who talks first? What, What just happened here? What do you do? Luke says they're afraid and they're astonished. He says they marveled. Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water. Who are we dealing with here? Now, at this point, maybe they're not still fully aware of his deity. It seems like they grew to understand who he was. And maybe even not fully until after the resurrection do they know what's going on. But, but this is a pretty big indication Who controls the winds and the rain and the sea? Well, according to the Old Testament, only Yahweh controls the sea and the wind and the rains. You can walk outside and talk to the sky all you want, but it won't listen to you. It won't won't listen to me. The clouds won't pay you no mind. You can't tell the ocean what to do, but 
they do listen to the voice of Yahweh. In Jeremiah 5, Yahweh says, I have, pla- I have placed the sand as the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass beyond it. And though its waves toss to and fro, yet they cannot prevail. They roar, yet they cannot pass over it. He says, I give rain, both the former and the latter, in its season. In other words, what Jeremiah says there, what Yahweh does speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, Yahweh puts the sea in its place and he commands its roaring. Yahweh tells it when to rain. Psalm 107 says, Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of Yahweh and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. That's what Yahweh does. And these men have known these psalms. They've sung these psalms since they were little bitty boys. And they know Psalm 107. And if it had not been apparent before, it is now that Jesus is more than a prophet. He's more than a miracle worker. Only Yahweh can do the things that Jesus is doing. His power over the waters reflects Yahweh's power over the waters. Which, by the way, mastery over the waters in a prophetic sense is also mastery over the Gentile nations. Throughout the Old Testament, in the symbols of the prophets, particularly Daniel, the the waters represent the Gentile nations. All of the great beasts come out of the waters. The Gentile tyrants come out of the water. And so when this account brings to mind uh, these other stories, we, we think about how God, through various times and through various prophets, controlled the waters. And at the same time, we see that God, through Jesus, transcends each of these. Jesus is the greater Jonah. He is the greater Moses. He is the greater Noah. The, the, the similarities between this story and Jonah's story are so obvious that a child could pick up on them. When Bailey was little, I remember reading the story to her, and uh, I was telling her Jesus was asleep, and the storm came up, and he got up and he rebuked the wind, and she said, um, I thought they threw him overboard. When do they throw him over? And, I, and then she said, no, 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 wait, that was Jonah. I said, yeah, right, that was Jonah. But, but the, the, the similarities are, are so obvious uh, that in both instances, in this and in Jonah's story, there's a storm at sea. The prophet is sleeping. He has to be awakened so that something can be done about the storm. But that's where the stories diverge. Jonah sleeps the sleep of indifference. He's hardened to the dangerous situation he is in. Jesus' sleep, on the other hand, is innocent. In Jonah's case, he's on a ship going away from the Gentile city where he's being sent to preach. In Jesus's case, in fact, we'll see this next week, he's going to a Gentile land. He's purposely headed toward a Gentile country that's on the other side of the sea. It's a Gentile country, we'll see, that even keeps pigs. That's how we know uh, also that they are uh, fully Gentile. But Jonah is thrown into the sea. Uh, Jonah is judged by the sea and the shoot, crypt. The, the ship and the crew are saved, 
But Jesus presides over the sea. Jesus judge and rebukes the sea and thus the crew and the ship are saved. You see the difference that, that Jonah is judged by the sea. Jesus is judge over the sea. The Jonah theme is important though, as Jesus now heads into this Gentile territory, we see Jesus is the greater Jonah who carries the gospel beyond Israel's borders faithfully. We also see here that Jesus is the greater Moses who leads his people through the sea. And remember that Moses led the 12 heads of Israel. Uh, God made a path through the sea for Moses and the 12 tribes. Now Jesus leads the 12 new tribes of Israel, the 12 new heads of Israel through the sea. Jesus is also the greater Noah. As under Noah, God put away the old world and gave birth to a new. So Jesus is doing the same. And and Jesus has the same power over the rains as the God who sent the flood. So time and time again, God has preserved and protected his people through the dark waters. So there's no cause for distress and despair. Even in the case of Jonah, who took a rougher road than necessary, the Lord preserved him too when he repented. We, like the disciples, are quick to worry and fret and complain and ask God why he isn't doing enough. Why does it seem like he's sleeping and not doing something? It doesn't take a lot to send us into a tailspin or to ruin our day or to break our spirits. We act like Jesus isn't there. We are faithless and we need to remember this very simple thing that if we are in the boat with Jesus, if we are united to him, obeying him, we're not gonna sink He's there when you're alone and you feel that the whole world has turned against you. He is with you when you're awake at night worrying about your family or worrying about your job or your health or even as you draw near to the day of your own death, you are not alone. You are not being tossed around by random winds of fate. He has ordained good things for you that will bring you from glory to glory, things that will bring him honor. And if that sounds simple, and if that sounds trite, I don't apologize. All of us need to constantly be reminded of this because when the storms come out of nowhere, we suddenly become very bad theologians. We forget everything pretty much that we know and we think, which is why we need the Psalms. We, we don't have the words to say, so open the Psalms, which is why we need great prayers that have been written throughout the centuries because they, they capsulize and summarize and, and codify the things that we need to say and believe and pray. We forget the things that we say to others when they're in these situations. We think those things don't apply to us right now, that all things working together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Uh, yeah, I know that, but that doesn't apply to me right now. That seems distant and irrelevant for some reason. But people of God know this. The Jesus who rebuked the storm, the Jesus who told the waters to stop their raging, and they did, is the same Jesus who meets with you right now today in worship. He's the same Jesus you are united to. He is the same Jesus who will deliver you and help you and preserve you. He is the same Jesus who is here now with us to subdue all of his enemies. The Jesus who has the power of the waters is your friend. He is your savior. 
He is your shepherd. What do you have that's too big for him? What sin do you have that's, that's, that's too loathsome, too grievous to be repented of? That he's not going to hear it if you try to repent. What desire of your heart is too big for you to ask him for? And by the way, Jesus, the God and master of the waters, as I said, is also master of the nations. The foaming and the raging and the fomenting of the nations. Uh, that, that turbulent, unpredictable activity of men and nations. Those are, those are all under his power to stop and calm when he so desires. And when his people cry out to him and say, Master, Master, we're perishing, he responds and he says, Peace, be still. Don't, don't ever hesitate to take that opportunity to cry out to him say, Master, you've got to do something about this. This this is awful. This is terrible. We're dying here. And the great thing is, you don't have to wait until you're dying. You don't have to wait until you're clinging to life to call out to this Master and say, save us, fix this, change this. And he does. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful and we're happy Uh, to be your people. We're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for his power. We're thankful that he reigns as king. And we pray that more and more he would reign and his, his reign would be realized throughout the earth. That as we press his crown rights into every area of life, we would see peace and calmness and, uh, and, and instead of warfare and strife and hatred and bitterness and anger and envy. So, Father, we cry out to you now, just as the disciples did. Master, we are perishing. Calm the nations with the power of your voice. Calm them. Bring them under your rule, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.